Hello, and welcome to the Happily Ever After podcast. My name is Mason Zontag, and I will be your storyteller for today. Today, we're looking at part three of our adventure into Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. Now, this is the fourth story in the seven-story cycle that he wrote, and today's story is called The Prince and the Princess. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge that I'm currently recording this podcast in Ithaca, New York, which is part of the traditional homeland of the Cayuga Nation. All right, are you ready? Let's begin. The Prince and the Princess Gerda had to take another rest. Then, a large crow hopped over the snow opposite where she sat. After sitting there for a long while, looking at her and waggling its head, it said, Caw! Caw! Good day! Good day! That was the best it could manage. But it was so well-meaning with the little girl, and it asked her where she was heading, alone in the great wide world. The word alone Gerda understood perfectly well, and was well aware how much meaning lay in it. And so she told the crow about herself and her entire life, and asked it if it hadn't seen Kay. And the crow nodded very thoughtfully and said, Could well be! Could well be! What? Do you really think so? The little girl shouted, and almost squeezed the crow to death, so fervently did she kiss it. Steady now! Steady now! The crow said, I think I know. I think it might just be a little gay. But now he's probably forgotten you for the princess. Does he live with a princess? Gerda asked. Yes, listen, the crow said. But it's hard for me to talk your language. If you understand crow language, I can tell you better. No, I've not learned it, Gerda said. But grandmother knew it, and she knew pea language too, if only I had learned it. No matter, the crow said. I'll tell you as best I can, but it won't be all that good even so. And then he told her what he knew. In the kingdom we are now sitting in, there lives a princess who is so immensely clever. But then she has also read all the newspapers that exist in the world and forgotten them again. She is that clever. The other day she's sitting on the throne, and that is not all that much fun, people say, when she happens to start humming a tune that is precisely this one. Why shouldn't I get married? Hey, that's not a bad idea, she says, and was so eager to get married. But she wanted to have a husband that knew how to answer back when talked to, one that didn't just stand there looking fine, for that's so boring. So she had all her ladies-in-waiting drummed together, and when they heard what she wanted, they were so pleased. I like this, they said. I was thinking something similar only the other day. Believe me, me. Everywhere I'm telling you is the truth, the crow said. I have a tame sweetheart who is free to walk around the palace, and she's told me everything. His sweetheart was a crow too, of course, for birds of a feather flock together, which in this case always means a crow. The newspapers immediately came out edged with hearts and the princess's monogram. There, people could read that any young man who was handsome was free to come up to the palace and speak with the princess. And the one who spoke in such a way that one could hear he belonged there, and who spoke best, the princess would take as her husband. Yes, yes, the crow said. Believe you me, it is certain as I'm sitting here. People flocked to the palace, and there was such a hustle and bustle. But there was no success on either the first or second day. All of them were able to speak when they were on the streets. But the moment they entered the palace gate and saw the lifeguards all clad in silver, and on the staircase the footmen clad in gold and huge illuminated halls, they were taken aback. 
and as soon as they were before the throne where the princess was sitting, all they could manage was to repeat the last word she had said, and she wasn't interested in hearing that again. It was as if people in there had taken stuff, and it had fallen into their stomachs, and they had fallen into a trance until they were back in the street. Yes, then they could talk all right. There was a long line right from the city gate to the palace. I was in there to have a look myself, the crow said. They grew both hungry and thirsty, but they didn't get so much as a glass of lukewarm water from the palace. The wisest of them had admittedly taken some sandwiches with them, but they didn't want to share them with the man next to them, for they thought, just let him look hungry, then the princess won't take him. But Kay, a little Kay, Gerda asked. When did he come? Was he among all those many people? Be patient, be patient, we're just coming to him. It was on the third day when a little fellow turned up without a horse or carriage, marching quite unperturbed right up to the palace. His eyes shone like yours. He had lovely long hair, but apart from that, poor clothes. That was Kay, Gerda shouted with joy. Oh, so now I've found him, and she clapped her hands. He had a small knapsack on his back, the crow said. No, that must have been his sledge, Gerda said, for he had a sledge with him when he left. That may well be, the crow said. I didn't look all that closely. But I know from my tame sweetheart that when he came in at the palace gate and saw the lifeguards all in silver, and on the staircase the footmen all in gold, he wasn't the slightest bit overawed. He nodded and said to them, It must be boring standing on the stairs. I think I'd rather go inside. There he came to halls glittering with light. Privy councillors and excellencies walking around on their bare feet and carried gold dishes. The more ceremony, the better. His boots creaked so terribly loudly but he wasn't the slightest bit afraid. That's Kay, all right, Gerda said. I know he had new boots. I heard them creaking in Grandmother's room. Well, they certainly did creak, the crow said. And he walked calm as he pleased right up to the princess, who was sitting on a pearl as large as a spinning wheel, and all the ladies-in-waiting with their maids and maids-maids, and all the lords-in-waiting with their servants and servants-servants, with their pages stood lined up around her. And the closer they stood by the door, the prouder they looked. The servant's servant's page, who always wears slippers, is almost impossible to look at. So proudly does he stand at the door. That must have been horrible, little Gerda said. And Kay won the princess even so. If I hadn't been a crow, I'd have taken her myself, despite the fact that I'm engaged. He must have spoken as well as I'm able to when I speak crow's language. I have it for my tame sweetheart. He was unperturbed and dashing. He hadn't come at all to propose, only to hear the princess's cleverness, which he liked, and she liked him in return. Oh, yes, it's Kay, all right, Gerda said. He was so clever, he could do mental arithmetic with fractions. Oh, won't you take me in where the palace lies? Yes, that's easily said, the crow replied. But how do we set about it? I'll have a word with my tame sweetheart. She can surely advise us. For I must tell you that you... Such a little girl as yourself will never be allowed to get properly inside. Oh, yes, I will, Gerda said. When Kay hears that I am here, he will come out immediately and fetch me. Wait for me at the stile over there, the crow said, waggled its head and flew off. The crow didn't return until darkness had fallen. Ra! Ra! it said. I'm to give you her many greetings, and here's a small piece of bread for you. She took it from the kitchen, for there's plenty of bread, and you must be hungry. It's not possible for you to get inside the palace, 
for you are barefoot. The lifeguards in silver and footmen in gold wouldn't allow it. But don't cry. We'll get you up there, even so. My sweetheart knows of some back stairs that lead up to the bedroom, and she knows where to get hold of the key. And they went out into the garden, into the avenue where one leaf fell after the other. And when the palace lights were put out, one after the other, the crow led Gerda to a back door that was ajar. Oh, how Gerda's heart pounded with fear and longing. It was as if she was about to do something bad. And in fact, all she wanted to do was to find out if it really was little Kay. Yes, it had to be him. She thought so intensely of his intelligent eyes, his long hair. She could clearly see how he smiled, like he did when they sat back home under the roses. He would, of course, be glad to see her, hear about the long way she had come for his sake, know how sorrowful everyone at home had been when he didn't return. Oh, she felt both joy and fear. Now they were on the staircase. A little lamp was burning on a cupboard. In the middle of the floor stood the tame crow, and it turned its head in all directions and observed Gerda, who curtsied as her grandmother had taught her. My fiancé has said such nice things about you, little miss, the tame crow said. Your Vita, as it is called, is also extremely moving. If you will take the lamp, I will lead the way. We will take the direct route, for we will not encounter anyone there. I think I can hear someone right behind us, Gerda said, and it swished past her. It was like shadows along the wall, horses with flowing manes and thin legs, hunting lads, gentlemen, and ladies on horseback. It's only dreams, the crow said. They come to fetch the thoughts of the royal household out hunting. A good thing, as you can then more easily observe them in bed. They now entered the first hall. It was of rose-pink satin with imitation flowers up the walls. Here the dreams already shot past them, but at such a pace that Gerda did not catch a glimpse of the royal household. Each hall was finer than the previous one. Yes, it really took one's breath away. And now they were in the bedroom. Here the ceiling was like a tall palm tree with leaves of glass, precious glass. And in the middle of the floor, on a golden stalk, hung two beds, each of which looked like a lily. The one was white, in it the princess lay. The other was red, and it was here that Gerda was going to look for little Kay. She turned aside one of the red leaves, and then she saw a brown nape of a neck. Oh, it was Kay! She called his name out quite loud, held the lamp closer to him. The dream swished on horseback back into the room. He woke up, turned his head, and... It wasn't little Kay. It was only the back of the prince's neck that resembled him, although he was young and handsome. And the princess looked out from the white lily bed and asked what was happening. Then little Gerda cried and told them her entire story and everything that the crows had done for her. You poor little thing, the prince and princess said, and they praised the crows and said they weren't the slightest bit angry with them, but that they shouldn't make a habit of it. They were, though, to have a reward. Do you wish to fly freely? the princess asked. Or would you like a permanent position as court crows, with everything left over in the kitchen? And both the crows bowed and asked for a permanent position, for they thought of the future and said, It's a good idea to have something for one's old age, as they put it. And the prince got out of bed and let Gerda sleep in it. He could not do more. 
She folded her small hands and thought, How good creatures humans and animals are. And then she closed her eyes and slept profoundly. All the dreams came flying in once more, and they looked like tiny doves, and they pulled a small sledge, and on it sat Kay, who nodded. But all of this was merely dreaming, which is why it had all disappeared again when she woke up. The next day she was dressed from top to toe in silk and velvet. She was invited to stay at the palace and have a pleasant time, but all she asked for was to have a small carriage with a horse in front and a pair of small boots, and then she would be off again into the great wide world to find Kay. And she was given both boots and muff. She was so finely clothed. And when she wanted to set off, a new coach of pure gold was standing at the door. The arms of the prince and princess shone from it like a star. Coachmen, servants, and postillions, for there were also postillions, sat dressed in golden crowns. The prince and princess helped her onto the carriage themselves and wished her every success. The forest crow, which now had gotten married, accompanied them the first twenty miles or so. It sat next to her, for it couldn't travel backwards. The other crow stood at the gate and flapped its wings. It didn't accompany them, for it had a headache, since it now had a permanent position and had eaten too much. Inside, the coach was lined with sugared pretzels, and there were various types of fruit and small spicy biscuits on the seats. Goodbye, goodbye, the prince and princess cried out, and little Gerda cried, and the crow cried. That is how the first many miles passed. Then the crow also said goodbye, and that was the hardest farewell. It flew up into a tree and flapped its black wings as long as it could still see the carriage, which gleamed just like the bright sunshine. That is all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, this was The Prince and the Princess, the fourth story in Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. Tune in next week for part four, or the fifth story in this sequence. If you enjoyed the podcast today, or if you didn't, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a rating or a review. I want to know how I can make the podcast better for you. That's all for now. See you next week.